You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Welcome, welcome all of you and those by live stream as well. Well, this morning I'm going to talk about the, uh, in a roundabout way, but I think you'll see how this works and why it works. We talk about the human heart and the role it plays in the development um, of our faith. And I'm going to do it through the parable of the sower, which I talked a little bit about last week. And um, I wanted Shelley to come read this parable for us. And I believe you can follow on the overhead. So this is the parable of the sower in Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. And this is Shelly Venable, Yahoo. Okay, the parable of the sower, Mark 4, 1 through 20. Once again, Jesus went to teach the people on the shore of Lake Galilee, and a massive crowd surrounded him. The crowd was so huge that he had to get into a boat and teach the people from there. He taught them many things by using parables to illustrate spiritual truths saying, consider this, a farmer went out to sow seeds. As he cast his seeds, some of, them, some of it fell along the beaten path, and soon the birds came and ate it. Other, other seeds fell onto gravel with no topsoil, and the seeds quickly sprouted since the soil had no depth. But when the days grew hot, the sprouts were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. Other seeds fell among the thorns, so when the seeds sprouted, so did the thorns, crowding out the young plants so that they could produce no grain. But some of the seeds fell onto good, rich soil that kept producing a good harvest. Some yielded 30, some 60, and some even 100 times as much as was planted. If you understand this, then you need to respond. Afterwards, Jesus, his disciples, and those close to him remained behind to ask Jesus about his parables. He said to them, the privilege of intimately knowing the mystery of God's kingdom realm has been granted to you, but not to the others, where everything is revealed in parables. For even when they see what I do, they will not understand. And when they hear what I say, they will learn nothing. Otherwise, they would repent and be forgiven. Then he said to them, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? Let me explain. The farmer sows the word as seed. And what falls on the beaten path represents those who hear the word, but immediately Satan appears and snatches it from their hearts. The seed sown on gravel represents those who hear the word and receive it joyfully. But because their hearts fail to sink in a deep root into the word, they don't endure for long. For when trouble or persecution comes on account of the word, they immediately wilt and fall away. And the seed sown among thorns represents those who hear the word, but they allow the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth 
and the desires for other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. But the seed sown on good soil represents those who open their hearts to receive the word and their lives bear good fruit. Some yield a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times more than was sown. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Shelley. Well, we did look at this parable last week, but uh, based on several things that Jesus said in the parable, I thought we should uh, really look at it some more. For instance, in verses 11 through 13, he said to those who were his close disciples, the privilege, let me emphasize that word, the privilege of intimately knowing the mystery of God's kingdom realm has been granted to you, but not to others, for everything is revealed in parables. For even when they see what I do, they will not understand, and when they hear what I say, they will learn nothing. Otherwise, they would repent and be forgiven. Then he said to them, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable? And so Jesus said it was a privilege to intimately know the mystery of the kingdom of God. And that if they didn't understand this parable, so this is the importance of this parable, how would they understand any, any parable? Then he explained it to them, to them so that they could understand what he was teaching and what he meant. And we have his explanation so we can understand too. So in essence, he put us on equal footing with his apostles. He gave us the understanding of this parable so that we could understand the rest of them. And so we could begin to grasp what Jesus himself called the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The kingdom Jesus came to demonstrate and to reveal. But it struck me, if I'm going to be honest about it, you know, maybe it's not too late for preachers to be honest, but if I'm going to be honest about it, that was a joke, You can, but that's okay. Jesus told them it was a privilege. It was an honor. It's a benefit. I looked up the definition of privilege so it would really register with me. Something granted as a special favor to understand these things. But I feel like as a culture, I'm just talking about as a church culture, we've lost the impact of having the scripture and of God giving us insights into who he is, how he looks at things, what he's like, what his kingdom like. And so really, does it strike us that having revelation from God in the scripture is something he has granted to us as a special favor? Is it something we treat as a privilege? Um, having grown up in the church... And having read the Bible for, you know, a long time, it's easy to take for granted the fact that God has given us what he's given us. And I think if we don't treat it as a privilege, we lose, um, we can begin to lose the value of just some of the very simple things that Jesus said that literally transform the world. The words of Jesus, you know, they didn't have written New Testaments when the, when the gospel took root, when it was so prevalent 
Paul even had converts in Caesar's household. I mean, it's remarkable what the gospel did with people who took to heart the words of Jesus. And I think something else that struck me, and I remember this verse out of Matthew thirteen seventeen, that others before us and before um, the Bible uh, in its form that we have now was available, and before Jesus actually came and did some of the things he did, they yearned to hear. They yearned to see the things Jesus did and the things that he taught. And it says this, many prophets and godly people in times past yearn to see these days of miracles. This is the words of Jesus. And you've been favored to see. They would have given everything, everything to hear the revelation you've been favored to hear. Yet they did not get to see as much as a glimpse or hear even a whisper. And I thought, too, in this uh, very same chapter of Mark, uh, which is chapter 4, I mentioned verse 24. Then Jesus said to them, be diligent to understand the meaning behind everything you hear. For as you do, as you do, more understanding will be given to you. And according to the depth of your longing to understand, much more will be added to you. For those who listen with open hearts, and what you're going to realize today is, as we read, uh, go through that parable of the soil, each one of those different soils represented a different heart condition. For those who listen with open hearts will receive more revelation, but those who don't listen with open hearts will lose what little they think they have. And so Jesus laid out some conditions for... Um, for growing in the knowledge of God and knowing who Jesus is. And it's being diligent to understand the meaning of these kind of words. Um, God will give you more according to the depth of your longing. For those who listen with open hearts, not argumentative hearts, not questioning hearts, but open hearts, to those, not that you can't question. Everybody's got to work these things out. But Jesus was saying, more understanding will be given. Much more will be added and you will receive more revelation. Or you could lose what insights you have. These are the very, very words of Jesus. So what if you don't hunger and don't thirst? Is that a good question? Ever been in a time of your Christian life when you really weren't hungry for more? You weren't really thirsty for more? So what if you don't hunger and you don't thirst? Well, in the natural realm, if you stop eating, you'll get hungry. And maybe feeding too much on other things has stifled your spiritual hunger. Or here's another uh, solution. Ask God to give you a hunger. Because it's never offensive to the Lord for us to be honest. One of the Psalms says, the Lord is near all of them that call upon him, comma, not period. The Lord is near all those who call upon him, comma, that call upon him in truth. And so the best thing you can do is identify the true condition of your heart and talk to the Lord about it. The true condition of your heart, not what you should be, 
not what you've been told you are, but if you can identify where you really are in your heart and you can call on the Lord on that basis of honesty, he will come and he will do things for you. So looking at the seed and the soil, Jesus tells us he's the sower and that the seed is the word and that the power is locked up in the seed. But if the soil's not right, the seed won't germinate. The seed won't produce. And if the seed doesn't fall into the ground and die, and if the ground's not right, the seed cannot release its full potential. Now, this is a little side note. But when, when several of uh, the disciples came to Jesus, they, wanted, well, they weren't disciples yet. They said, where do you live? Jesus said, come and see. And then he quoted him a verse. Unless a corn, unless a seed of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides alone. And so this process where for something to grow and reach its full potential, and Jesus himself demonstrated this, you really will have to go through a dying process. How many of you happy about that? Well, happy or sad, it's the way it works. Do you hear what I'm saying? It is. But there's a hopeful part of this, and we'll see it as we go on. So here's one thing we can say. Seed is amazing. Seed is amazing. There are seven palm trees in Israel today that have been grown from 2,000-year-old seeds that were found in the Judean desert near Jerusalem. 2,000 years, they sat dormant. These are the oldest ever germinated, and they're apparently among hundreds discovered in caves in an, an ancient palace built by King Herod the Great in the first century. So see, that's the power of the seed. But if the seed is not placed in the proper environment the remarkable attributes that are inside of that tiny seed cannot be released. That's how amazing the Word of God is because that's the parallel. The seed is the Word, and the soil is our hearts. And so we begin to look at condition of the soil, which is so essential to fruitfulness. Mark 4.4, as he casts his seed, some of it fell among the beaten path, and soon the birds came and ate it. And so we're looking what the Passion Translation calls the beaten path. And when I think of the beaten path, I think of hard-packed clay that's been walked and walked and walked over till it could be hard as concrete. The well-worn path. To me, that speaks of like common belief, what everybody thinks, hard-headed opinions, Opinions will keep you from the power of the word. Well, it's what they think. It speaks of there being no place for the seed to sink in at all. It's like when the seed comes. Could you hear that? It was just like a donk. Donk bounces off. Bounces off. That's the beaten path. The birds come and steal it before it even has an opportunity to root. But here's the thing I've noticed about this, and I think we've got to understand. 
it's the fact that God throws his precious seed on ground unlikely to grow anything. Well, unlikely as it is, because I think it can change. He throws his seed everywhere. He even throws it on places where it's not prepared to grow. And Jesus talks about his father this way in Matthew 5. He says, his father is the one who makes his son rise on the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust. Another Bible verse says God's unkind to the ungrateful. But he throws, he throws his seed everywhere. So then the second kind of soil we see is described in the Passion Translation as gravel. And we find in verse 5 that other seeds fell onto the gravel with no topsoil, and the seeds quickly sprouted since the soil had no depth. But when the days grew hot, the sprouts were scorched and withered because they had insufficient roots. They don't endure for long. How many, how many of you have known people who met the Lord but when trouble came, they didn't make it. Raise your hand if you know somebody like that. Yeah, they didn't make it. They don't endure for long, Jesus said. The lack of the depth of soil didn't allow their hearts to take a deep root into the seed or a deep root into the words. And the heat of the sun, in other words, the atmosphere, the surroundings they were in, heated up. And when something comes that contradicts what they heard or troubles them about what they heard or disagrees with the word, Jesus said these things, they didn't have sufficient roots to hold on to what they heard, even though they received it joyfully. They don't sink a deep root into the word implies that the word somehow didn't capture their attention to the degree it needed to, or they didn't value it. It didn't have the proper place in their lives, or they haven't recognized earlier what Jesus said, the privilege of having access to the words of Jesus. And then we find the next kind of ground, which Jesus described as thorny, thorny ground. And he said, the seed sown among thorns represent those who hear the word, but they allow the cares of this life and the seduction of wealth and the desires for other things to crowd out and choke the word so that it produces nothing. So the cares of this life, anxiety, concern about what people think actually kills your faith, distraction, negativity, the seduction of wealth, which could involve the compromise, compromises we could make for financial benefit, it could be the amount of time we spend at the expense of relationship with the Lord and with other people. The temptation to have what other people have. How many of you have dealt with any of those? Anxiety, concern about what other people think. Jesus said that will kill your faith. Distractions, negativity, the seduction of wealth. How many of you have ever been tempted to compromise your faith for financial benefit? Just me, I guess, okay. 
I'll tell you, one of the things that has affected me over the years is uh, the Bible calls it the fear of man or being concerned about what people, what people think. And I can remember uh, as, as a young man, I was just out of college. I was working at a food service equipment company. And um, one of my customers called me and asked me to do something. And, uh, but he, I shared responsibility with one other guy in the office. And so he called. I made a note of what I was supposed to do. And I put it aside. I didn't do it as soon as I should have. And so the man who called came in and asked me, um, you know, I asked you to send this particular product to one of my stores. And uh, they didn't get it. And I said, no, you, you must have you talked to the other guy. Well, I lied to him. Is anybody listening to me? Let God be true in every man a liar, the Scripture says. We just hope God doesn't have to prove it to us in our actual lives. But he had to prove it to me. <laughs> and so I lied to him. And I began to get condemned about that. And the Lord, of course, was speaking to me about it. And um, before the man ever left the office, the Lord said to me, I want you to go tell him that you lied to him. Let, let me tell you, this is a really effective process of not getting over lying, ladies and gentlemen. It's called confession and repentance. And I said, that's what you, he said, yes. And I thought, well, I went to him. The guy's name was John Mendanis. He worked for Eckerd's Drugstore. I said, John, I lied to you. He said, I know. And I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. And... um he could trust me from then on. I've had several experiences in business where there was a test and a trial and, and a proving that had to be done. And it's connected to your faith. I'll give you another advice. I had a, an employer, and um, I was in a situation where um, it was, a, it was a, some kind of a sales situation, and... Um, a customer was expecting me to give him a $400 uh, payback on something, and he really didn't deserve it. And I couldn't, he couldn't really prove he deserved it, but he was a customer, and we were going through this process. Well, one of my bosses knew about it, and he happened to be sitting next to me, and he was listening to me on the phone talk with the guy. And my boss knew if I lied... We wouldn't have to pay him. So my boss was whispering in my ear, lie to him. Lie to him. And I thought, I've, I've been through this once. I don't think I'll do this again. But this is my boss. And so I told the man, I said, hey, tell you what, hang on. Let me put you on hold. And I put him on hold. And I turned to my boss and I said to him, if I'll lie for you, I'll lie to you. What you want me to do? I just looked at him. He said, if I lie for you for $400, I'll lie to you for 1000 Now, what you want me to do? And he wouldn't answer me. 
Because I made up my mind I wasn't going to lie anymore if I could help it. And it became, my boss knew he could trust me then. But it was a test. And I had some ground that had to be prepared so that I could pass some of these tests because you fail them and then you pass them. But here's the thing. If you don't pass them, you just get another retest. How many of you are happy about that? So, yeah, you get another shot down the road. So, and it's usually each time it's a little bit harder. So I decided, no, I'm not doing this again. And, and the, the Lord gave me that like instant wisdom. I mean, that was, a, that was a remarkable thing to say, don't you know? If I'll lie t- for you, I'll lie to you. I thought, where did that come from? I really did. I'm not just bristling with all this. Some of you may realize that, but, uh, okay. But speaking about different kinds of soil, Jesus really is describing different conditions of the human heart. And he wouldn't have told them this, and he wouldn't have described each one of these kinds or problems that people have in their heart unless you could actually do something about it. Or what would be the sense of him even talking about them? He would just say, yeah, there are people that believe because they got a good heart and the people that don't because they don't. That's just the way it is. That's not what he was saying. He was letting us realize any of those categories we find ourselves in that could hinder what God wants to do, Jesus has a way to help us. Now, Mark 4.28, particularly in the New American Standard, is real clear. It says the soil, think about the heart and, and the soil and the wheat and the, and, and, the, and the seed. The soil produces crops by itself. If the seed's right, all it takes is the soil being right. And what happens? First you get the stalk, then you get the head, then the mature grain in the head. The seed contains the power, but it's the soil. It's the human heart that produces the crops. So here's what we need to realize. We need to guard our hearts. We need to guard that valuable thing we have called our hearts. And Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of its spring the issues of life. And, and this, this is where uh, criticism and anger and negativity and debate and all the stuff that goes on can destroy what God has put or wants to put into your heart to make you a prosperous, fruitful person. So the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, with everything you can. Guard that inner garden, if you want to call it that. The Bible calls your heart. So how do you know the condition of your heart? It's easy. Pay attention to what you say. For the abundance of the heart, what does the mouth do? It speaks. You got a direct connection between what goes on inside and what you have to say. How do you treat people? What are your words? Are they kind words? Are they good words? Are they honest words? But are they grace-filled words? The Bible says, let your words be seasoned 
with grace. And the Bible says, let your hearts be established with grace in the book of Hebrews and not with strong meats or strong concepts or strong ideas, but be established by the kindness and mercy of God. And let that so resonate in you that that's how you relate to the people around you. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, hear that, a good person, out of their good treasure of their heart, brings forth good things, and then an evil man, evil things. And the wonder of this all is in Genesis 1, we're made out of soil. God scooped up some soil and breathed into it and made a man and then a woman. And he's not through cultivating this garden. I was thinking about this too. When you talk about the seed, you're talking about, um, the Bible says in another place, the kingdom of God is like a man that planted seeds and they grew up all by themselves and nobody knows how it happened. And, and that's, that's the transfer, that, that's the, Christian understanding of transformation. It's from the, it starts on the inside and works its way out. Okay? Religion tries to change you from the outside in through pressure, through intimidation, through fear, through regulations and rules and demands and process. But, but the Bible and Jesus transformed us from the inside out. And the problem with that is something can be working on the inside that's not out yet. Or you can change something on the outside that has never really, really been on the inside at all. And then you just become critical and narrow and religious and bigoted and all the other problems that, that we may see. But Jesus, the gospel, transforms us from the inside out. So we have to have grace for people. Maybe they don't look like the inside's working out. But there are other scriptures that said, don't pull up the weeds. They may not really be weeds. They may be fruit. They may be wheat. Leave them alone. Let them grow together. See what happens. Well, we don't like that because we can't control things the way we want to. We want to tell people everything. But what is Jesus' invitation? Follow. Follow me. Follow me. Not I'm going to drive you. Not I'm going to force you, coerce you, threaten you, intimidate you, beat you, harangue you, harass you. Why wouldn't he do that? Why would he? That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Another parable talks about the pearl of great price. We think about the price when we haven't seen the value of the pearl. Do you understand what I'm saying? Until we see the nature of God and God's care and God's love for us, it, it, we, another verse says, if you love me, You'll obey me. Well, we think, oh, gosh. No, he's not telling you another commandment. He's telling you what will actually happen in your life if you love him. Well, that's not to condemn you because you don't love him enough, but it just shows you the process 
that Jesus uses is from the inside out. Is that good? Yes, 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 yes. You know, the prophets of old, just like Jesus, they used agricultural ideas, natural ideas, and stories and images. I think about uh, something Hosea the prophet said 3,000 years ago. He said, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Then he said this, break up. Say those two words with me. Break up what? Your fallow ground. And fallow, I thought fallow was hard ground, but fallow ground that actually means plowed ground. And so even after you've been plowed, anybody been plowed for the last 14 months? Any plowing going on up in here? The prophet would still say, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes. What will he do? He will, he will rain righteousness down upon you. Hosea 10, 12 through 13. Oh. That is really powerful. Break up. Break up. Rend, oh, rend your hearts and not your garments. And that's, that's an allusion to when a religious Jew would, would be upset or, uh, or express himself strongly about something he didn't like or was wrong. He would tear his garment. And, 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 and the Lord is saying, that's not, no, that's an outward show. What you need to do is let your heart be torn. Every time Jesus performed a miracle with loaves and fishes, it was a process. There was a blessing and a breaking. Say that with me. A blessing and a breaking. A blessing and a breaking. Not just a blessing. A blessing and a breaking. Not just a blessing, but not just a breaking. A blessing and a breaking. How many of you felt broken up and plowed? How many of you have felt broken up and plowed lately? Here's the bad news. That hurt. Here's the good news. Your ground is being prepared to receive seed from the Lord, and surely an abundant crop shall be the result. Listen to me. We cannot waste these months. Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. You will not despise. I know a lot of singer-songwriter types. There are none here today, but I know them. <laughs> and I can tell you without reservation, some of their most potent music has come through situations they would have never chosen for themselves. Because it's a reality 
to be blessed, you'll be broken. But there's a problem. There's a problem when your heart's broken. Because you can be broken and angry, right? You can be broken and resentful, right? You can be broken and unforgiving, right? All of those things I think we can see aren't good soil. So don't waste your brokenness. Can somebody hear me? Don't waste your brokenness. You're already hurt. Why not benefit from it, right? Yes, the sacrifice God desires is a humble spirit. Different translation of what I just read. Oh, God, a humble and repentant heart you will not reject. Years ago, I was reading this verse in, in, in uh, Genesis about Noah. It said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So where did he find grace? In the eyes of the Lord. I thought, oh, I need some grace. And Noah lived in a very difficult period if you study the history of Noah and that whole story. It said uh, in Noah's day, there was a plague of violence. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I thought, oh, man, if Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, I'll do that too. I'm going to look right into the eyes of the Lord. And then I had this thought, but what if the Lord didn't look at me? I thought, oh. I really had this process. I did. What if he's not looking at me? And then I remembered this verse, and I felt like the Lord reminded me of it. In Isaiah 6, 6, 2. But on this one, I will look. And to look there means intently, to regard with pleasure, favorably, carefully, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles, who trembles at my word. So here's what we cannot get by. Good soil needs to be broken up. I think of that verse, rend your hearts, not your garments. And that being brokenhearted is part of the process of being prepared to bear fruit. Jesus demonstrated that for us through his sacrifice, through his death. He was the original grain of wheat that fell into the ground. And because he fell into the ground, he reproduced all of us here. The difficulty, the horror of the death of Jesus can't be fully understood. I can't fully grasp all its significance. But here's one thing I know. Because he did, in some way, shape, or form, he released us as part of himself in a resurrected form when we believe the gospel. How does that work? I don't know. But that's what the kingdom's like. You throw seed in the ground and it grows and nobody knows why. I don't understand. Understanding is overrated in many cases. I'd rather have benefit and no understanding than all understanding and no benefit. So what am I saying this morning? Anyone asking that question? (laughs) 
<laughs> what am I really? What am I really talking about? <laughs> I'm sorry. What am I really talking about? <laughs> about with soil and seed and weeds and thorns and gravel and walkways and anxieties and wealth and pursuit and a harvest 30 times or 60 times or 100 times? <clears throat> the human heart, the condition of the heart. A broken heart's the most fertile field for the seed of the word to grow and develop and be fruitful. What seed? That seed that's the word of hope. I, 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 here's what goes on, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't noticed. CNN popped up on my phone and it said, worst season in human history for death by avalanche. Oh, well, I, I, I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> There's a very small percentage of the world in danger of getting killed by an avalanche, right? But they want everybody to be afraid. Or do, I thought, oh, gosh, one more thing to be concerned about, avalanches. No, we don't have to be worried about avalanches. Now, my son-in-law has to be on the avalanche prevention team over in uh, Montana somewhere. But no, what word is it? The word of fear? No. The word of anxiety? No. What word will drop into a fertile field, a fertile soil? It's a word of hope and a word of promise and word of kindness and word of forgiveness, of joy and, and of being, actually being satisfied. The Bible says God is able to give us all grace. All grace may abound unto us, Paul said, always in every situation. Hard to believe, but man, that's a good seed to plant. So, broken hearts, but not anxious ones. Bad, bad for your growth cycle. Broken hearts, but not consumed with money and getting ahead. Bad message. Seed up. Choke out your life. Broken, but not concerned about the opinions of others and what they say. That kind of heart attracts the great sower. But on this one will I look. I read this earlier. On one who was poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. In other words, who, who, who relates to God's word to us with, as though it were a privilege. I did want to remind you of this. I said last week that uh, Donna said, we were actually talking about the parable of the sower, and she said one of the things that makes soil rich and productive is manure and dead things. See, when you're breaking up that fallow ground, you've got to work that manure in. got to work those dead things in. Some of that means you got to let some of that stuff die that's keeping you back. 
There are several ways to spell manure. <laughs> I'm a, but when, <laughs> when processed the right way, manure, this is what Donna was saying, in dead things add a richness to the soil. And it all works, how? From the inside out. Okay? All right. I think Shelly is going to come pray for us. That'll be good, won't it? That was great. Y'all stand with me. I'm going to pray for us. If you would, will you just put your hands over your heart? I heard somewhere that when you do that, it sort of calms your parasympathetic nervous system or something. So it's like connecting to your, to your heart. And... Um, so I'm just going to pray, and I want you to think about your heart. Pull that, pull that, visualize it in your mind, your heart. Think about the things that need to die, things that you need to let go, the things that are not serving you anymore. Think about the things that have broken, broken, broken your heart, Think about the things that have been difficult. And I just just ask you, Lord, to, to break up the soil of our hearts. Break up the soil of our hearts. Get down in there, dig in that soil, and prepare it for the seeds. The seeds that you want to plant in our lives. The harvest that you can see, that you can see that we can't see, that is, that is bountiful, that you have for our lives the bountiful harvest that you have planned for our lives. Plant those seeds in us today. Make our hearts a fertile, lush place for seed to grow. I speak life into your hearts today. Life that the seeds will sprout. They will not be choked out. They will not wither away, that the cares of this life will not choke out the seeds, that the the difficulties of life will not cause the, the plants to wither away, but that the seeds would, I speak life, and I speak an abundant, abundant harvest in each life here, in each heart here. And I bless you. 
each and every one of you. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. 